Hi, and welcome to the Soul Rising Podcast. I'm Dana. During your time here, you will step into your soul through enlightened conversations, meditations, and stories about healing. I started my own journey on this path long ago by earning a master's degree in counseling, becoming certified in regression and Reiki, and doing countless hours of work to raise my own vibration. It is my hope that you will see yourself reflected in me and in my guests and find self-awareness or a healing method that will propel you further on your own path. It's my belief that we aren't just healing ourselves. We are also healing all the women who came before us and all who are yet to come. Join me every Tuesday to feel more in touch with the beautiful soul that you are. Returning to the podcast today is Stuart Pierce, a legendary voice coach and author. Stuart was first featured on season one, episode 25, where we discuss his teachings around using your voice as the purest expression of your soul. Today, we are together again to discuss his newest book, Diana, the Voice of Change, which is unlike any other books printed about Princess Diana in the past. Stuart coached Diana during the last two years of her life, and in this book, he sheds light on the essence of her soul, how she evolved from meek and mild to brave and courageous, and he shares the powerful exercises, meditations, prayers, and affirmations they used in their work. Stuart gives us lots of behind-the-scenes information about the writing and executing of Diana, the Voice of Change. He also shares some sneak peeks into upcoming books and explains his programs, The Diana Heart Path and The Diana Heart Club. This is the um, Work Your Light Oracle Deck by Rebecca Campbell. And we'll just see what we get here. This is Unbound. It's what we're doing, you see, which is, you know, we, we have worked on a lot of our staff. And um, as a result of that, we're able to serve the, the arousal of the Divine Feminine. Evidently, as we're seeing, 2020 is an extraordinary year for the arousal of the Divine Feminine. There are so many aspects that are already in the public eye, you know, of this wave. And so to be unbound is to be unbridled, you know. And it, I love the way that the three women are as it's swimming towards the light yes <clears throat> they are swimming toward the moon which is amazing as well oh, yeah, towards the moon. yeah well let me read this to you this says it is time to release old soul stories that have been playing out in your life they are coming up to be healed there has never been a safer time to clear these patterns than right now take a look at patterns in your life that you are ready to release Ancient vows and contracts that your soul made that have an expiration date. It could be a vow of silence or chastity or poverty. It is time to unwind from them. This is the life in which you free yourself from trauma of lives past. What old ways of being have an expiration date? When you name them, you claim them and they stop holding power over you. When acknowledging these old patterns, it is also important to acknowledge how they have served you up until now. For example, a soul pattern of playing small caused by a soul fear of being seen or sharing your voice would have served you by keeping you safe. 
In order to grow, you now need to soften by receiving and calling in support. It is time to unbind from the old ways of being that are no longer sustainable. This is exactly like Diana, the voice of change, the book. I mean, really, that this is a lot of your message, isn't it? Totally. Totally. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And at the time that she was creating, we, we had long conversations, I remember, but at the time that Rebecca was creating this article. Mm. She she and also the artist who did the did the artwork, they came on the retreat to Egypt. Oh, how amazing. With their with their with their spouse and um so you know so i got to know them a little bit then that's incredible yes it's um it's all of that isn't it i mean it's mm. it's what it's what my conversation has really been for the last 25 years you know this is a remarkable time of shifting and the reason being that a series of cos cosmic cycles are coming to a point of completion which is why we're awakening and so we're going through a renaissance. We can't call it that because we're living it, but three in 300 years time, your children, your children's children, your children's children, children will be saying, oh my God, they lived through a total renaissance. Um, so this is all change, which is why we see the waters are very choppy. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know, I'm, I'm gung-ho, you know, I'm all urge. Um, <clears throat> but it's interesting how a lot of people are finding it very difficult, very held, very stuck. So the nature of being bound is really interesting. It is interesting. Bound by their own consciousness, bound by the subterranean and sub-subatomic, sub-atomic, um, deep, deep, deep memories that are being held or crystallized within the physical form from soul contracts from before. And you know, particularly this aspect that she's referring to of vowing. Um, this is coming up a lot at the moment. Mm -hmm. It is, and it connects to your book, Diana, The Voice of Change, because you are um, releasing and allowing a message of hers to be shared that has not been shared to this point. Um, can you explain why you were inspired to publish this book now at this particular point in history? Because you knew her, um, you know, forever ago, and it's been quite some time since she passed. So what caused you to want to publish this now? Well, to be honest, it was something that we talked about all those years ago, but we talked about it not prophetically or uh, as a heavy duty issue. It was just something that was en passant that we talked about. In other words, what, what Diana said to me was, wouldn't it be interesting if this work that we are doing, which was held in complete confidence, you see, that was the interesting thing. So nobody knew what was going on and she was very firm to that conviction. It was an idea that I put forward when I said, um, look, I would like this to be completely confidential, which means that I have certain premises. I'm never going to come to Kensington Palace. You come to me. Um, whenever, whenever payment is made, you pay by cash. I don't invoice you. Whenever you need to book, we either do it in a, in, in a session or you call me on your cell and I'll be always available for you, you know, because it was huge what she was going through. And she agreed absolutely and said, no, this is far, I, I can sense this is far too special. This is far too extraordinary. And I would love it to be confidential because she was surrounded by a circus of activity that was all about major exposure and that it wasn't a great, about the greatest truth or the greatest integrity. And people like you and I had worked with her 
And then when they'd finished, you know, they reached a point of completion, they'd taken their stories to the dailies and made thousands and thousands of pounds. So she was betrayed and had a series of psychic scars. And I said, binding me in confidentiality means, although I'm saying, and I will always honor, that I will never expose you inappropriately in these ways. But what this does is it binds us to something which is sacrosanct, something that is sacred and held in a vow of sanctity. And I feel, you know, we, we knew that we had met before and that this was, that I'd always served her as a mighty one and that this was um, a very extraordinary degree that we would work together through. So there was all of that going on. But why this time? Well, it's 22 years since her death and 22 is a master number. So it is the number of the sacred structuralists. And, um, and so three years ago, she, I kept feeling her whizzing around me as it were, because um, she's been with me off and on over the years, but I could feel her presence. And then I was having a conversation with my literary agent, who's a very, very dear friend and completely sympathetic with all of these virtues that we're talking about, you know, in relation to the arousal of the divine feminine and the final, finer attunements of our spirituality. And she said, well, Stuart, you know, you worked with Diana. And I said, yes, what of it? And she said, well, why don't you write a book? And I said, no, I'm, not, I'm never going to write a book. And so she said, yes, but the book that you write will not be one of those books. It won't be the kiss and tell or the chronicle. They've all been done. The book that you write will be about the celebration. And in that moment, Diana came in and I could feel the whole of the book. So um, I needed to organize time in my diary to write, <clears throat> which I did. And then I sat here in London in my study for three, nearly four months. I was like a monk. I never went out. I just wrote. And she was here with me. We had a party all the way through. So she showed me the whole thing and even reminded me intuitively about the journals that I'd written, which frankly, I'd forgotten about, you know, that I sort of annotated our processes. Um, because I felt that it was an august opportunity to do that. And I felt that it was immensely significant what we were moving through, particularly from the sacred point of view. As you see in the third chapter, The Anointed One, where I took her through these stages of consecration. Um, and so that's how it all happened, really. And now I'm looking at it. Let me reach for it. I'm looking, I'm looking at it and thinking, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> It certainly is. It's and it, you know, it's been out, as you know, since the 24th of January, but actually it's, it's already sold out. So I've got to reprint. <laughs> so, I know. But, I'm on that waiting list. I don't have the physical copy yet. <laughs> I have a Kindle book, um, but I don't mind reading it on Kindle. That's fine. I love to have a hard copy though. And so whenever it makes its way to me, that's wonderful. But, um, you know, you, you really touch in the book on the fact that Diana was really a catalyst for women to begin speaking their truth. And I, I just don't think it's a coincidence that you've had this information and this knowledge and you've chosen now to release it to the world because women really are starting to come into their own. There's truly a, a, a huge movement happening. And I, I think it started before Diana, but Diana really, really pushed it into the 21st century. I think she we can all look at her as, as someone we recognize who began to speak for herself. So I just think it's fascinating that um, this dovetails nicely with the Me Too movement and, and all these other movements that women are speaking up about. 
And apropos, you know, you touched on it intuitively as well as that this is a sign of the times. Mm -hmm. um, two years ago, I was in LA working <clears throat> and two of my actresses were the main speakers in Hashtag Me Too, mm. who their names will remain um, anonymous simply out of my honoring of them. But, you know, anybody can guess who they were. <laughs> and, um, and I was there, they, you know, they said to me, what should we do, what should we do? Because that's the nature again, of the, the nature of the integral or integrous relationship that I have on that level. There's always great honoring, great trust, great faith. Um, and they shared with me how they'd been raped, you see, by you know who. Um, and um, I said, you must, you must speak because you are actually now strong enough to become a spiritual warrior, a priestess warrior, but you need to step forward and speak of the injustice and speak of the violation and speak of your truth as a signal, not a blame and accusation, but as a signal of this must stop. Yeah. And so they did. And so, you know, I know that it was Diana who was girding all of this forth, so girding up the loins of, of us, so to speak, that old fashioned phrase, so that we could step into the fray, you know, because you need muscle to do that. You need, you need strong belief, attitudinal muscle, belief, faith and trust, you know, am I centered? Am I grounded? No, I'm not going mad. You know, because there are always reprisals, there are always rebukes, there are always repudiations from an, uh, um, an order and a level of intelligence in our, in our consciousness, which doesn't want change to happen and certainly doesn't want women to be free and doesn't want this level of change to take place. We just have to realize that. Uh, as we saw with Diana's passing, which I refer to not obliquely, but just gently in the book, because obviously it's a ritual killing. I didn't want to go deep into that because again, what it does is, is to conspire with conspiracy theory. And there's so much of that around. And all it does is generate untold fear. And the whole point of the book is to generate love. As I say at the beginning, this book starts with love and it ends with love. Um, and it's been really interesting to see how people respond to that. You know, for example, a gentleman in Arizona said to me yesterday, who came to me as a client online, and he said to me, um, yeah, I read your book. So I said, oh, and how was it? Well, it's a bit repetitive. So I said, uh, oh, what's, what's being repeated? Well, you keep talking about compassion. So I said, oh, I wonder, I wonder why that's so. And he said, well, I don't know. It's just you keep repeating it. So I said, have you ever heard of the phrase, repetition is the mother of skill? So the very fact that I'm repeating it is a complete intention. It's to keep reminding people because we speak of compassion and then we do cruel things. In this moment, for example, you're being cruel to me. You're not being gracious. So let's exchange grace, shall we? And he began weeping. It was such a blessing. It was such a blessing. And of course he realized the error of his ways and then was able to receive, was able to yield and surrender and to receive. And so, you know, that's, I feel that's what we're being encouraged to, to do in our lives, you know, that we move into the, the witness of truth and recognize that that is the only way into the unfolding of 
the field of unconditional love out of which we pour and we know all about on this level, but are we living it? Mm-hmm. And so that's why I've been so thorough in the book, you know, that there is back to where we were, which is this membrane that doesn't want the freedom to happen. And so it's what's interesting about her passing was the fact that that happened. But then it seems that the force that created the event did not fully see what would happen within human consciousness. And as you know, that's that's the big section of chapter one that I try to explore what was released. Yeah, and let's talk about that because the the part in chapter one where you discuss some of the synchronicities surrounding her death and the actual physical location um, being an honoring site to the goddess Diana in ancient times, I mean, it like blew my mind. I just loved, I loved that part of that chapter so much. It just, it just shows the elevated um, status of Diana and the evolution of who she was as a soul, not just a human being um, in this particular lifetime. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, the way that the information came to me was also really interesting. Because uh, there I was in Paris working for one of my CEOs, who's an amazing guy who I've been helping over the years. And he was going through a really powerful merger, meaning he was buying a company and it was a big deal. And so he asked me if I would be there with him for the meetings in the Ritz in the center of Paris at the Place Vendôme. So we were there and and when we completed the, the stuff, the meeting, and it had gone immensely favorably in his favor. He was chuffed, he was really, really pleased. And he said, what are you doing now? And I said, well, um, actually, um, he said, what time do you go back to London? Because I was getting on a train, which is the Eurostar, you know, because we have a tunnel between the continent and, 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 and Britain or England, the United Kingdom. Um, and I said, well, I'm not leaving until about 6.30. And it was like four o'clock. And he said, okay, good. We're gonna drive across town to my office because I want to give you this book. And then my chauffeur will take you in the limo to the station and you can jump on the train. Is that okay? And I said, sure, you know, it saves me having to worry about cabs and stuff like that. So we're driving across Paris and he's chatting away. We're in the back of the car and he's chatting away. And then suddenly he said, and we start to get, and I I think, oh my God, this is the tunnel. Because I'd never been there. It was, you know, it was something that, this was about two or three years after her dying after her death. And I was, it took me about five years to get over it. It was just such a shock. Anyway, so as we're going down, he said, wait a minute, you worked with Diana? And I said, yes. Well, this is where she died. There's the pillar, the 13th pillar. You know, in in Roman times, this was the temple of Diana. Isn't that strange? Okay. So I went, oh my God, you don't know what you, I didn't actually say to him. I thought inside, you you don't know what you've just revealed to me. And so that, that seeped deep within my consciousness. And then of course, the beings that were necessary, you know, the human beings that were necessary with other information started coming out of the ether, that I would meet these extraordinary people and spent actually about two weeks in Paris about a year later with some very extraordinary people who need to remain anonymous, who gave me all of the information about the Spencer family, one of the, you know, Diana Spencer, one of the, old, one of the oldest noble families in England, much more noble than the Saxe Coburgs that are presently the Windsor family, the royal family, um, going all the way back into the sands of time. 
And of course, what I didn't mention in the book, because I wanted to get on with the Diana story, was that it, it goes all the way back, they go all the way back to the Holy Grail. Wow. So that's the next book. That's the next book. Oh. Because again, it's about the nature of how the Divine Feminine is stepping forward, that Mary is stepping forward at this time in the, the seventh, eighth, ninth dimension as a priestess of Isis mm -hmm. to bring forth extraordinary energies for you women and we men to bring about greater parity, to bring, bring about greater balance, a balance, to bring about greater healing so that the waves and rays of unconditional love can be permeated more strongly through our planet because by God, do we need it? Mm -hmm. So that's how that all started, you know, and then over the years, I just accumulated the information um, that was necessary. I mean, there's more, but it was all a little bit XX rated and sort of full of conspiracy theory. But I gave the, I gave the bones of what the story was all about. And it's fascinating, isn't it? It's very fascinating. Um, and it, like I said, I just, I think it speaks to who she is as a soul. Um, so that we can see more of her eternal being and what she was here to do on the planet than just her physical body in this lifetime. Yes. That's what I love so much. It just really elevated her even more in my, in my mind. So I love that you included that information. Well, I felt it's important because, you know, the majority of people around the planet are still caught psychically in the loss of her passing. So there's a tremendous amount of tears still being shed. There's a tremendous amount of referral to the pain and the scarring that individuals have in the shock of her passing. Um, and you know, that's really what that's about because that's obviously, obviously not Diana as she was, this is Diana as she is. And that's the whole point. That's why I didn't use a photograph or um, you know, clever portraiture, which was a recreation of how she looked then. It's about recognizing that she wants us to heal from this. So for example, well, one of the things that we didn't mention in our, in our sort of little documentary just now is the fact that the place where she died is called the Pont de Almar, which is the Bridge of Souls. So it's an immensely powerful earth energy center that the Temple of Diana, as it were, just happened to be built on, firstly by the Romans, and then in the middle part of the, around 350, 400 AD, by this clan of feudal kings, called the Merovingians, that trace all the way back to the Holy Grail, the lineage that is. And they apparently were evidently at, <laughs> at a level of human consciousness where they were always squabbling over land. And wherever they fought their duels, they fought them by the Temple of Diana because they believed that the one who was vanquished, the one who was murdered, part their soul passed through that bridge of souls into heaven and became god's eyes on earth and so that's where diana chose to go so i believe that part of her uh part of her soul's treasure chest was that she had lived before in other incarnation as a spiritual warrior s which indeed, of course, when we look into the Greek representation of Diana, we see that she was, as I annotate in the book, you know, a, a free spirit who lived through the charge of the warrior instinct, meaning was brave, was courageous, was forthright, was steadfast. It's just that in this, in this life that we know of, that she had here, relatively speaking, quite recently, that to begin with, she needed to experience what it was to be vanquished so that then she could rise. She never saw herself as a victim. She knew she was victimized 
but she never saw herself as a victim. So that, to me, is always a sign of you know, this warrior consciousness here. And of course, I'm talking about the sacred warrior. I'm not talking about the professional soldier. So that's how it all started. It's interesting, mm -hmm. isn't it? Oh, it's so interesting. It, it, it is. And um, I, she was just such a light. I mean, she just, she really was in everything that she did. She was such an example. And you really talk about that. I mean, you really, you really touch on the beauty of the work that she did here on earth. Um, so tell us about your work with her when you, when you came to be with her and, and the exercises and the mantras and the things that you two did together. Well, um, it was sequential, obviously. It was, you know, okay, so where are you at now in your process? And of course, what I'm, what I'm talking about is the last two years of her life. And so our meeting really took place when the panorama, the famous BBC panorama interview came out when she said there were three people in this marriage. I mean, that was quite a declaration. And other really significant things which were very gently said, but evidently were observations about um, what it was like to be within the inner folds of the royal family and how she had been judged and repudiated and rebuked and just simply misunderstood, misperceived. Her level of fragility, her level of vulnerability was sometimes not within boundaries, you see, because the richness of what she was experiencing was moving into, I suppose, areas that we could describe as being hysteria, where she just would, the energy would Break, it, break the bank, so to speak, you know, like water pouring over. And rather than just holding, that level of emotionality was not understood and was scary and fearful, I believe, for a number of members of the family, the intimate family. And having been brought up, my father worked for them. I have experience of what that withholding was um, which is understandable because it's, it's by definition the nature of their service and how they are, the, you know, the queen and that area of the royal family, I mean, it's changing radically because of the young ones coming forth, believed in a certain mystique. Otherwise, the magic of royalty would be watered down. And they felt that it was very important to be distant and to hold that mystique. But what goes with it, of course, is a lot of emotional withholding. Uh, you don't weep in public, you know, and you don't hold somebody's hand unless it's glove against glove. Whereas Diana went completely against that. And when she held the AIDS patient's hand, everyone was so shocked that literally as she shook that hand, she shook the world. Now that wasn't intentional. She didn't set out to shake the world. What was intentional is just to share love. So it's interesting that her love arising out of a position of such delicacy, of such sweetness, she was, it's very difficult to talk about it actually without, without wanting to cry, that she, she was by far the most extraordinarily beautiful, delicate vessel of the purity of the divine feminine that I've ever met. I mean, she was exquisitely beautiful. I shall never forget the first moment she touched me <laughs> and said, you will work with me, won't you? And uh, these eyes just bore into me, not in any aggressive way, not intrusive, not invasive. It was just this yielding and I just fell in love. I mean, it was just extraordinary. She was so exquisite, or at least her vibration 
was completely in correspondence or in coherence with mine. That was intended so I could help her. Whereas she certainly wasn't in coherence with other members, with, with members of the royal family, you know. Um, so it was this extraordinary recognition of the delicacy. But what was also very important to begin with, to answer your question about what did we do, was to really define the energy boundaries because she was boundaryless because of the love was so consummate. And so we needed to work on the psyche of really creating boundaries. And uh, of course, one of the most formidable ways of creating boundaries is to recognize our physical membrane and to really feel the power of what the body is all about uh, and how we can feel that our skin suit is one boundary that uh, allows us to be part of, but also allows us to withdraw when anything is, in, is invasive or inappropriate. And so it sounds so simple, but actually, as we, as we both know, that working on that when somebody is not fully conscious means that we have to become conscious, we have to become present, we have to become mindful in each nanosecond of each day so that we can come back to really seeing, really hearing, really feeling, and not just being plundered constantly if we're empaths which many of us are, I mean, you are, I am, by sensory overload. You know, it's taken me many years to learn this and then to assist the great ones to live it. Um, so, and, and you know, she was very physically aware. She loved her body. And uh, so upping workouts were really important. She swam every day. So that was really important, not just to tone muscle, but because by being a water baby, as I called her, you know, by swimming, there is this nullification of the negative ionization or the, the positive ionization rather of um, rampant electromagnetic energy. So she found it always calmed her. Um, going to the gym, really toning her body and also dealing with the interior landscape of her body by um, working on very specific um, food regimes, very, very rarely drinking uh, alcohols, just occasional glass of wine when she was at state occasions and so forth and so forth. Loved coffee. So that was a question of, okay, we need to hone this down. Uh, Love cappuccino. <laughs> um, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. All of, those, all of the, that information that we need. But of course, what it did was to tone the, her organs that would often become feverish. And so we, we had an acupuncturist that she went to and a colonic irrigationist that she went to and a shiatsu healer that she went to, who were constantly stabilizing her. Not just simply because she was being often attacked by negative energies, but also because of who she was. She had completely misconceived or misconstrued the power of the energy of public thought. You know, in other words, that when you have a mighty one, they don't feel mighty, they're just being like you and I. But then they're invested with this office, so to speak, this, this role. And then the thought projections that go to them become mighty because th this is all energy. And so I needed to show her how to create boundaries around that so that um, she wasn't just simply always gushing forward, you know, that she allowed her love to flow, but it was always um, managed, never controlled. The belief was, well, when we control, we just rigidify. And so what we need to do is manage. Um, that then went into really strengthening her breath so that she could actually feel more relaxed because she was a very shallow breather, very subtle breath, 
because of the intensity of what she was experiencing. So I need to, uh, needed to open all of that out. And at the same time, of course, what that does is to allow our vocal apparatus, so to speak, it allows the internal musculature to free up. So those sounds stop being like this, you know, which is what I call a, a half voice, and it's above the breath into a sound that is in the breath. And so it sits and automatically the musculature gives one a certain amount of weight, a certain amount of texture, a certain amount of grounding. And as a result of that, we feel more secure. And then there were the other things, you know, um, that I've annotated fully in the book. Uh, I mean, there, you know, I've worked out that there were 12 principal areas of creation. So the other areas were, for example, to do with her psyche, of who was she, what levels of responsibility that she have as a, as a social cipher by which another energy could be read for all peoples uh, without becoming grandiose or overly mysterious. You know, what was that? We needed to understand what her role was so that she could become the queen of everybody's hearts, you know, because although there was that statement, because that was pouring out of her unbelievably unfiltered capacity for loving, as I say in the book, many of us didn't know that when she wasn't engaged in public occasions, at least twice or thrice a week, she would be just jumping into her car anonymously, often wearing a wig and sunglasses, and not the car that everybody knew she would be driving, but something a little bit cheaper. <laughs> and she'd arrive at a hotel, uh, sorry, she'd arrive at a hospital and just walk in and take the wig off and say, hi, I'm here. Is there anybody that I can help? And she would go and sit by people's beds and just hold their hands. Can you imagine? There you are, critically ill in hospital, and suddenly the door opens and Diana walks in. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, um, and, and they developed, you know, she was such a darling that she, she never stood on ceremony. It was just very easy. And because they felt this towering presence of her angelic nature which then increased and increased energetically and allowed her to carry through at her death. And I believe she's become this angel of vast luminosity. So we, did, we needed to honor that and to work on the musculature, on the spiritual muscle of what that meant, which is largely about the continuous belief, faith and trust that love is all there is. And that even when accusation, repudiation, or violence appears in front of us, that it comes purely and simply because we hold the cipher of what that truth is, of what love is, and that comes up because it needs to be healed. I just, uh, you can feel when you read the book that your main message is to show Diana as someone who is able to express and uh, communicate and transmit pure unconditional love and that she truly is um, an example for all of us and and to to tap into that energy in in the way that you describe helps us to really feel what it what it's like to embody that unconditional love and it gives us something to work toward um, I really feel that coming through in the book. So I, I think you honored her spirit uh, beautifully, in my opinion. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I, I mean, I, I feel I did, but, you know, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. 
Yes, it's, um, it's, it's part of this thing that you and I have talked about before, but is it one of the central cause of my teaching, that the era of data collection is over, you know. I mean, of course, in terms of AI and the way that we run our systems, data and the processing of data and the security of data is going to continue on that level, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that we've read all the books, you know. It's time to stop just holding the ideas here. Oh, unconditional love, unconditional love. Oh, yeah, unconditional love. And then we go out and we're cruel to some you know in the sense of you may be in this supermarket and you know you come along with a heavy cart full of groceries and you look at the clerk and the clerk is evidently going through some process so she's being very abrasive with everybody uh, and so what well, oh god look at her so there's all of this judgment even though we've just been talking about unconditional love and it's in that moment that i feel that we need to not become defensive not become offended and just simply say, is everything okay? You know, I just, I just did it before coming to meet you because um, I, was in a, I was in a heavy, heavy meeting and I felt my energy was a little bit zapped. So I thought, now what do you want? What do you want to have? And um, it, occasionally, just occasionally people, right? I have a coconut latte. So I went into this organic store and had a coconut latte but it was obvious that the guy that was serving me was in a really bad state because he you know energetically you could just feel it oozing out of him and he said one or two things that were actually really inappropriate so when it came to pay you know the three dollars or whatever it was um i said are you okay and he said what, what's the problem and i said are you okay and he said um yeah i'm fine so I said, well, thank you so much. That's all right, he said. And I said, okay, look into my eyes. It's not all right. It's not all right with you. And the way that you're treating me is not all right with me. Now, let's just exchange a little bit of grace because he looked into my eyes and said, who are you? And I said, I'm, here, I'm standing here as your brother. I care about you and you're in a state. So we can't go into what's wrong, but let's just exchange a few seconds of grace. He started to cry. And I said, well done, how does it feel? He said, oh God, who are you? <laughs> and I said, just think of me as an angel coming in and helping. He said, thank you so much. And I said, okay, the next time you serve a customer and they say, thank you, say, it's my pleasure. That's a beautiful way to put a boundary up between yourself and, and someone else who is having a hard time, but showing them that unconditional love as well, that that, that boundary can be fluid, you know, that it, it's there, but you can still give them love through it while not accepting ill treatment, right? Yeah. And, you know, and to be absolutely honest, the first thing that I register is anger. I feel angry. I feel irritated. I feel frustrated. I feel angry. But I don't, I don't react to it by then projecting it onto, for example, this young man. I do, I, I do something about that because I know that it's not my anger. I know that what I'm doing is that my body has become like a barometer and I'm picking up his anger. And so I immediately process that. So I don't react, which is reacting something I've always done before. I choose a new response. I get creative about my witness. And sometimes I fail miserably and make big mistakes, uh, but I always go back and apologize. I know I always try and bring in the grace of apology. I feel that's really great because apologies are so humbling. You know, just as saying thank you is so humbling. It gets us off our high horses and we 
you know, pledging ourselves to gratitude, but I mean, really feeling it. And I think that's where we started. You know, the point about Diana is that she felt all of this and we need to feel all of this, our pain and our glory. We need to feel it. And most of the time we're, de we're compartmentalizing it. And so, as, as you, 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 you so beautifully have put it, what I wanted to do in the book was to provide, as well as the ideas, what I wanted to do was to provide a wave of love. Yeah. And next week I will, next week? No, the week after, I will record it. I will make the audio. And oh, you will? As, as I speak it, you know, I just want the waves of love to come through because she's obviously choosing me as a, as a vessel to pour through. Yeah. And, you know, I felt, well, not felt, I, I read in the book that you were speaking to women. Um, and I think that's true, but I really think you're speaking to all of humanity, to men as well, of course, that this is the universal message of love and how to embody that and how to be it. Um, so what are you hoping that the impact of this book will be? Um, thank you for mentioning that, because I know that, um, the book is primarily for women, and that's strategic, A, because of what we've discussed, but also because I'm known as a niche writer, and I want this book to have universal, not niche, but universal acclaim. So I'm really speaking to the women of the world because I know that my, my lineage spiritually and my life has led me to see that I'm in, I'm in service of the divine feminine. But of course, that doesn't mean to say I don't work with men. <laughs> right. And I, what, what I've done is, you know, to begin with, I've just given this, not blanket, but this powerful bandwidth of resonance for women. But as I say in the mission statement on the website, www.dianathevoiceofchange.com, the mission statement's on the, on the homepage, that this is for women and men. Note, women and men, not men and women, which is how we normally put it, mm -hmm. but women and men. Um, so that's my gentle sort of dropping in of, this is, all, this is about all of us. Now there was another point I, that came out of what you were saying. Oh yes, and so the book is just the beginning of a huge project. And the project is called The Diana Heart Path which any of the listeners can, um, can see through going to www.dianathevoiceofchange.com that it's, I, I feel, I believe, clearly, clearly illustrated or annotated, the Diana Heart Path and the Diana Heart Club. So that anybody who wants to can come along to the events of the Diana Heart Path, which will be workshops, using the material in the book, as well as me asking extraordinary, to begin with, extraordinary women, the women of the world, to come forth and to teach us within their own specific discipline about how we can free ourselves to become unbound and unbridled and express unconditional love. Um, that will also lead towards a Diana Hart Path conference which will be hopefully once a year, one in London, one in New York, where we come together to, whether it's one day or two days, I don't know, but we come together to celebrate our togetherness, to celebrate our kindred spiritness, because this uh, Diana Hart Path, Diana Hart Club is bringing us together to feel the kindred nature of spirit, to feel empathic 
concern. So we hold each other. Um, and of course, the workshops within the Diana Heart Path will prepare us for how we do that. You know, for example, when you meet somebody and you think, oh, you're really nice, then they turn out to be very irritating. So what does that mean? <laughs> so that we can realize that the irritation is within us. It's not necessarily to do with them. And so how do we work through that so that we constantly move into the expression of love and therefore honor, heal, um, exorcise something deep within us, which is to do a judgment or a lack of love. The Diana Heart Club, to begin with, will have two streams, the Sapphire Stream and the Pearl Stream, because these were her favorite jewels. And there will be specific events that will be managed or created and then managed for people who buy into the club. Um, and, uh, and of course, they will have access through discounted um, tickets or discounted fees to the conferences and to the workshops and so forth and so forth. So there'll be lots of special events for the Diana Heart Club members. I'm calling them miracle members because after all she was a miracle and she taught us about miracles. Her love was miraculous. I think it's amazing that you didn't just write this book and put it out into the world, that you are creating tangible ways for um, women and men to really walk this path and to, and to learn how to integrate it into their lives and to um, create a sense of community, which is such a principle of the divine feminine. Um, so it's not just that you're giving this information and walking away. <laughs> it's that you really are doing this as your life's work. I think you're honoring her in a beautiful way in doing that. It's, it sort of reminds me of when, when I finished writing, I sort of wrote the final paragraph and um, sat very still and felt very moved that it, my journey with the book had reached a point of completion. And that of course, being a perfectionist, I could go on and on and on and on and on, but you know, <laughs> let's caution that one, right? Now you need to hand it to the editor. Um, and in that moment, Diana said to me, but this is just the beginning. And now what you'll do is you'll create the heart path. And so it's got nothing to do with me. It's all her. I'm just mobilizing, physicalizing, vehicleizing her energy because she's now in spirit. You're doing the physical work that she can't do. You're working in tandem together. Mm -hmm. And I believe, you know, she's already said to me that people will reveal themselves that will help behold the energy and will take the energy forward. So there are young ones who will step forward and take the energy on, um, you know, because I've, I've reached a certain point of seniority in my chronology on this planet, and I'm not deciding to go tomorrow at all. I know I have a long life. Please but don't. <laughs> this development is going to be over the next 30 whatever years. So I'm just recognizing um, the effects of my own mortality without becoming dramatic. You know, one of my dearest friends has just died. So it's oh, been very interesting working through. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm so glad. <laughs> <laughs> not because I wanted to get rid of her, but because of what's happened as a result. I mean, she's literally, she's wedded to the divine. I mean, it was mm -hmm. just extraordinary what took place. Um, very, very, very high vibrational initiate who's been a devotee for many, 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 many years, you know, and has lived on Amas, in, in Amas Ashram in India, you know, a very extraordinary human being. Not really human, actually, more an elemental. 
Um, But she's left behind her partner, who is actually much younger than she, but they were together for, I think, 25, 30 years and a little bit more. And so I'm, of course, I'm with, I'm with, I'm with him, helping him. And uh, it was glorious. Her dying was just glorious. Absolutely amazing. And just, just as I feel it needed to be. Anyway, so death is not, is a specter that I'm, I'm, I'm not, uncommonly involved with you know it's something that happens quite a bit because of my interface with with cancer um, and particularly female cancer but when it when it comes close to home it's sort of you know one's own mortality is what I'm reminded of I was reminded of my own mortality so I'm just thinking about hmm so Maya Angelou was right when I met her about 20 odd years ago just after Diana died I met Maya and I spent three hours with her and she said to me what's your legacy and I said well I don't really know other than all the young ones that I've trained and are now doing extraordinary things so she said no your your, that is your legacy but your legacy is much much more than that you'll see she said wistfully and I said what are you seeing she said I'm seeing I'm seeing a lot Mr Pierce but um, time will tell. Oh, ah, the worst answer. <laughs> I just, you know, the, the mystery of the mystic. <laughs> Be patient. <laughs> and of course, then we get involved in, um, so what do you, don't go there, she said. Just yeah. don't go. Just be with the energy, you know, because otherwise we get caught up in expectation. And if expectation is there, we have disappointments and then we become attached. And the whole point of this is that we're free, you know, that if it doesn't happen in this life, it's happening in the next life, you know, it's boundless, boundless. So this interface between life and death that, you know, here is this non-corporeal being who was here in her in all of her tenderness and all of her humanity, you know, a perfectly imperfect being. Um, I mean, you know, I'll share a story with you because I think it's really, really amusing talking about her ordinariness, that um, maybe the listeners, and I'm sure you remember the photograph of her in this extraordinary black cocktail dress, mm-hmm. which the shoulders are exposed, short hair, the Spencer choker, very short dress, and she gets out of the car and, um, Charles had just announced that you know he was in love with Camilla Parker Bowles. So this was her. I am in triumph. Mm-hmm. She was with me before that. She we she came and had a session before that. And I didn't I don't don't live too far from Kensington Palace, so she was able to get home. But I do remember it was about five o'clock or something. She said, "What time is it?" Because as usual, the sessions would go on, and I allowed that to happen because Diana was who Diana was. Um, and I said, it's five o'clock, darling. And she said, what? I've got to go. I've got to, I've, got to, I've got to put my dress on and makeup. And so I said, okay, well, let's get the car and you can go. Um, and as she was leaving, as she was going out of the front door, she was in tracksuit bottoms, you know, because she'd, she'd been to the gym and then, and she said to me, and nobody know, nobody's going to know I'm shitless because she'd just been to her colonic irrigationist before coming to see me. I mean, that's how earthed she was. And of course, we just fell about about in laughter. She was so funny. We would often laugh, not knowing what we were laughing about. It was just laughing for the fun of laughing. It was, she was very, 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 very funny. So that's what I mean by her ordinariness. And then, of course, she appeared in this extraordinary way. I love that. I love that so much to see the other side of her as well. It's beautiful. Yeah. 
and very easy about showing it, you see. I mean, obviously not broadcasting. By the way, I just had a colonic, but right. you know, <laughs> that's, that's obviously not appropriate socially. <laughs> um, <laughs> there has to be a boundary, but just in private, you know, it's just a wonderful, and that's what she was always about, you know, always touching people, particularly in very formal situations. She would touch them with informality by leaning over and saying, do you like my dress? You know, it's something as simple as that, which would relax people and then there would be a little bit of a laughter and then they would become real because of the expectation of meeting somebody as mighty as that, as beautiful as that, as world-renowned as that. People get nervous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing that she had the ability to calm and to uh, soothe anyone that she spoke to. I love, I love that. Mm. Well, Stuart, your book is incredible, and I hope that everyone listening will purchase the book and we'll give it a five-star review on Amazon, right? <laughs> and uh, Or we'll purchase the Kindle version, whatever you prefer, and we'll visit dianathevoiceofchange.com and check out your heart path and all that you are doing. It This is incredible. I just... Um, I really admire your bravery in, in doing this work and in committing to the cause of bringing the divine feminine to the world in a way that we haven't seen before. Well, bless you. It's, um, it's, it's an absolute joy. It's just fantastic. And of course, as with everything in life, there is um, an area which is to do with the fact that the beauty and the bounty and the power of what Diana's doing is also creating a reaction in the world. So there are people who have stepped forward and have announced themselves as being in, in rejection of what I'm doing. And um, I mention this simply because obviously therefore I'm doing my job because that's there. And um, I'm also asking everybody to be as kind as they possibly can and not to just simply criticize or judge uh, I mean, a lot of people said, well, why would you want to write a book about Diana? Let sleeping dogs lie, you know? <laughs> That's been their reaction. And of course, for me, what I do is I immediately look about and detach, feel stillness and observe, even if it's an instant. I think, wow, now that's interesting. Because evidently, that person has a real issue with the nature of death and is fearful about death, has been traumatized in some way by death. And uh, the whole substance of Diana passing has brought that up. For me, as Esther Hicks would say, dying is a question of we close our eyes here and we open them in another dimension. The journey up to that point can be grim or gracious, depending on our own choice. What happened with my friend who's just passed is that she was very unwell with bronchitis. An old lady, I mean, 84, 85, but um, had a number of physiological challenges. And uh, she said to me, I'm ready to go. However, her body de dematerialized, dematerialized, dematerialized. And then um, her partner called me and said, um, Lakshmi, her name was Lakshmi, has become incontinent and is really not here. And I said, okay, now's the time call emergency services because they'll know exactly what to do and they'll be able to lift her in the right way and clean her body and she needs to get into hospital immediately. So that's what he did. And um, he then called me and he said, 
you won't believe what's happened. I said, what's happened? Well, you know, Lakshmi was in hospital. She'd looked after by the nurses. She was being dressed. And so he then was allowed to go and sit by her. And after about five minutes of him being there, she turned to him and said, you're irritating me unbelievably. Would you please leave immediately? And so he left. He sent love and left. She didn't want him to hug. And of course, that's when she went into the death cycle. Mm -hmm. So it was her announcement, I have to do this alone. They were inseparable for over 30 years. I think there was only one day when they were apart in 30 years. Extraordinary. Mm -hmm. So that's a great teaching, you know, and he was, I mean, I, I feel that the story, which is why I indulge us in this, is an extraordinarily important story, that Diana is wanting to help us heal the passion of the trauma of the loss. That will be the next book that I'm going to write under this umbrella, which is what, to do, what do we do with the loss? Because there's been a mountain of responses on Facebook, for example, or on Instagram, by the posts that I put up just in the last three weeks. And most of them are to do with, oh, she was too good to die. Oh, such a you know, loss. It's this lamentation, which I don't, I mean, I don't wish to give the impression that I'm sending it up. I know it's really very real, but it's time that we heal that and recognize that she may be no longer here in flesh, but she's really here in spirit. So thank you for, you know, you, you, thank you for coming and, and asking me to, to do this. And uh, as usual, it's been gorgeous being with you and sharing on this level. You evoke a level of credibility and a level of truth and a level of beauty, which is, which is very special. Thank you, Stuart. That's so kind of you to say. And um, I'm happy to support your message as always. Um, and I just, I think everyone listening is going to absolutely love the book. It's, it's beautiful. So thank you for writing it and thank you for sharing your time with us and giving us some uh, behind the scenes. I love, you know, the little extras you've given us have been amazing. So thank you for that. My pleasure. I hope you found information, clarity, or inspiration that you'll take with you today and use in your everyday life. If you enjoy my show, the biggest compliment you could give would be sharing it with your friends, subscribing, rating, and reviewing it on whatever device you use to listen. Visit me at thesoulrisingpodcast.com or at the underscore soul rising podcast on Instagram and Facebook. A huge thank you to Purple Planet for the music used in this episode. See you next time.